Hi there, welcome to the Causeway Coast Vineyard podcast. We are a church who are passionate about seeing the transformation of individuals and institutions in our city through the generations to see all things new in our community. We hope you enjoy this message. So in case you have just joined us, we've been on a long journey uh, as a church looking at a subject called the kingdom of God. It's a subject that Jesus talked about uh, more than any other uh, topic that he discussed throughout the Gospels. And really since Easter, we've just been tracking this journey, the kingdom of God. We've been talking about it. It's the dynamic rule and reign of God. It's what, what he is doing in us and around us at all times, whether we are aware of him or not. And that we've been talking about what that looks like in our everyday. And I encourage you to go back and listen to any talks you need to uh, on that. But one thing we talked about was when Jesus came, Jesus came and he talked about the kingdom of God. We said that he presented the kingdom of God, but he didn't just talk about it. He actually demonstrated it. He walked the walk as well as talking the talk. So he demonstrated the kingdom of God. And then what happens is that those of us who are following Jesus, those of us who are part of the church, we get to realize what the kingdom of God looks like in our time, okay? We get to see what it's like. We're not supposed to live like a first century uh, Jew uh, in the early church, but we're meant to work out what does it look like in 2022 uh, in where we live and what we're doing. And so the past number of months, really since September then, we've been talking about what does it look like here at Cosby Coast Vineyard? What kind of a church do we want to be based on what we heard Jesus present, what we saw him demonstrate throughout the scriptures. And we've been talking about how we want to be a church that is outward focused, a church that is open to everyone. We, we know that the kingdom of God was never meant to be something that was just for insiders. It wasn't just meant to be for people who had it all together. It was meant for all of us, right? Aren't we so grateful for that? Because I don't think any of us have it all together. And so we want to be a church where everyone can be a part of it, that, that you get to journey here. And I hope maybe some of you are here this morning or watching online, and this is your first time. Either you've engaged with church for a long time um, or with us here at Causeway Coast Vineyard. We then talked about how we want to be a people who are, it's everyone, every day, everywhere that actually the kingdom of God is not reserved for experts. It's not reserved for people who have been to Bible college. It's not reserved for people that we think should do it. Actually, it's all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, that we all get to play when it comes to this. And, and that's what we've been looking at. And today, we're going to look at how we believe that the church and our church here is supposed to be a church that seeks city transformation, that we want to see a change in the places that we live. Now, here's the thing. I know every time we talk about city transformation, I see the eyes roll. Because some people start going, do they know this isn't a city? Do they know that the North Coast technically isn't a city? And we know that the North Coast isn't a city. We remember our GCSE geography. And we remember all the things that you need to have a city. And so when we talk about it, we're like, oh, how do we talk about this in a way everyone can hear? And we talk about city, and most of us, those of you, I know some of you are visiting from maybe some bigger places, but in the North Coast, our cities look more like cows and sheep, not skyscrapers. This is our city. And so we're kind of like, oh, how do we say that? I've had other people come to me and say, why are you keeping talking about Belfast and Derry or Newry? We live here. Stop praying for those cities. Pray for here. It's like, oh, no, that's not what we mean. And so we started using words like community. Maybe community is more. Everyone will understand community. And then people go, oh, yes, you're talking about the church community. 
Those of us who meet in the building on a Sunday, that's the community. No, no, it's bigger than that. And the truth is, we don't really have had the words yet. We don't have the words so that every heart can hear this. But really what we're talking about, and what I'm talking about when I use the word city, is that, that we believe that we are called to be an outward-focused church, everyone, every day, everywhere, in every city, town, village, hamlet, field, whatever, right? It's not contained to, let's not get caught up with GCSE geography. It, you know, in this, in this book, the Bible, the term city is used again and again, and it's not actually used in the way that we've understood it in the West. The same word that's used for city is also the word that's used for town. It's the same word that's used actually for quite often just a general gathering of population. It's the word that's chosen to be used. It's not meant to be uh, this distinctor about size that's within there. It's just a general term for a population center. So for the sake of this service and other services when we're looking at city transformation, here's the thing. We are going to say that Bally Boogie, Bally Hackett, Dervick, McFinn, McCoskin, and McGilligan are all cities. <laughs> say amen. Amen, we are the city. And if your town or village or hamlet or Muckamore or wherever it is was left out, don't leave in protest. You're included as well. We just can't include them all. So when we're talking about city, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. No one left out. You see, the Western understanding of cities and the places that we live is very different than the people that we read about in this book, the Bible. And this book covers thousands of years as well, so even their understanding would have changed throughout history. But they had a way of understanding the city and the places that they lived, the places that they were a part of, that actually is quite different to the way that we look at it now in 2022. And I want to take a little bit of time to look at some of the differences and why it's important that we understand this in order to partner with the kingdom of God today. And the first thing was this, that for those people, cities were spiritual places. They were actually spiritual places. There was something about those cities that were important. And there was like a, they believed so much more that there was an unseen realm, a spiritual realm that was happening in every city and in every collection of people um, that's there. In the, in the West, and we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the talk, we tend to have moved away from that and we believe much more in the things that we can feel and touch and smell and the tangible. That's what, how we see these places. When, when I say to you, think about the city, you know, of Belfast, like what do you think about? You'll say, well, Victoria Square or this football stadium or whatever place we think of bricks and mortar and we think of those kind of things. But actually, a lot of people in, in, in the Bible would have been thinking about the spiritual forces and things that are happening in those cities. And we're seeing some increase in that um, in the Western world. But actually, if you were to travel in Africa or India or Central America, what you'll find is the people who are much more spiritually attuned to what's happening. So that's why when we read throughout the Bible, we read moments where cities were talked about as spiritual places. So a guy called Paul, who was one of the early uh, church leaders, he's writing to a church in Turkey, and they're having some problems in there, and he's sorting it out. And then this is what he says. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There was this sense of the problems that they were experiencing in their community, in their city, weren't just about people. It was something beyond that that was influencing people. There was the unseen realm. They had this understanding that spiritual forces were at work. Um, cities were a reflection of something bigger, not just about buildings and stuff. 
There was so much more that's going on. A guy called Daniel, um, uh, way before this guy Paul, Daniel, you'll know him from Lion's Den fame. Um, And Daniel was writing about a vision that he had and a conversation he's having with an angel that's coming to him. And and get this verse. This is what it says. But the, the, the angel says to him, I meant to come earlier, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. And then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, these aren't people that this angel's talking about. He's talking about spiritual beings. Michael was an angel. The prince of Persia was a demonic force, right? We're reading that in Northern Ireland today or wherever you're watching from online. We're like, what? But this was a reality. This was as real to them as it's real where we're sitting today watching this service. There was a reality to them. And that's really hard to understand, right? It's really hard to understand. But, but we need to realize that throughout the Scripture, and I think angelic is mentioned something like 51 times in the Gospels alone. I think 80-something times in the last book of the Bible. It was a reality that there was a spiritual realm to everything that was going on in our cities. But you don't need to do that too much. All you need to do is remember that cities, for the people that we read about in this book, was about so much more than just the stuff. And so cities were spiritual to them. But the second thing is this, is cities were personal. That cities often had an identity and a name that communicated and meant something. They would talk about their cities or their places that they lived and that they gathered in a way that was different to us. They would name those places in the way that we might name people. In fact, they referred to them in sometimes human terms or personal kind of terms that feels kind of weird to us as well because they believed that the city it was a part of the whole thing, right? So in the same way that, that I'm a person, but there's so many things that make up who I am and, 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 and it's put together to make me, well, they believed that cities were the same. It wasn't just a collection of people, that it was about the systems. It was about the powers and the principalities, the spiritual identity. All of these things were there and that's what was understood, So again, we read in the scriptures, a book of Ezekiel is a prophet, uh, and, and this is what he says, God's message came to me, and he said, son of man, confront Jerusalem with her outrageous violations. Say this, the message of God, the master to Jerusalem, you were born and bred among Canaanites, it's human language. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Like, we, we can't imagine saying that, like, about Port Rush today, right? Do you know? Your mother was from McGilligan, your father was from Bellarina. Like, it just doesn't compute in our minds. And, or even Jesus himself, when he's, he's coming to Jerusalem, he says this, talks to Jerusalem like it's a person. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers your chicks under her wings and you were not willing. He doesn't even seem like he's talking to the people of Jerusalem. He's talking to the city of Jerusalem. There's this sense that there's, there's a personality to the city. Later on in Ezekiel, it talks about Jerusalem having daughters. Uh, even cities themselves had names that were named because of their destiny and what happened there. And so we have Bethel. Bethel was called the house of God because Jacob encountered God in that place. So people, when they would go to Bethel, is they would expect an encounter with God because that's what it said. Um, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, was known as the house of bread. Right? So when Jesus announces that he's the bread of life, 
there's actually a tie back to that. There's, there's an identity. There's something that's going on, right? We, uh, we, we didn't have enough time in this service, but I was testing the 930 if they knew what Korean meant or if they knew what Limavari meant, which is leap of the dog is Limavari, uh, and, and nook of the ferns is Korean. We don't know what that means, but it's all good. But we don't have that in the same way that maybe the, the people in this book understood it that uh, we see small moments of this identification, right? There's, like, sometimes we used to talk about, I love the North Coast. That was like a tag on social media posts, and there was some sense of identification with an area. Um, or we have, is anyone in here from Derry? Yes. <laughs> so, like, Derry people, Derry people, we love you, but you announce where you're from, usually within the second sentence of every time we meet you. Anyone from Cork? No, that's because you don't move outside of Cork because you're so identified with there. And there's this kind of sense of, of that. And that some of our younger generations sometimes can identify with, with those spaces and places and the global sense of it maybe more than we have. In fact, do you know when we're uh, listening to this service that our youth listen to this service as well, our older youth, and I've told them to knock on the wall. Apparently, we've got a time lag. So we'll see if they're actually listening. Josh? It's not going to happen, is it? That worked so well. That was a good idea. If we hear them in about 10 minutes hammering it, we'll know it's going. But sometimes we see some of that, that kind of work. But what we're living in technologically is a transitionary space. I bet you Josh just said, let's wait five minutes and then we'll catch um, but, but technologically, we live in, in a more transitionary time, don't we? We're more mobile. Transportation means that we move about more, meaning sometimes our connection to space and place is a little different than might be seen here. Uh, how many people uh, spend most of their week working remotely somewhere else? Like you're here, but you're serving somewhere else? Yeah. Right, so so that's, that's a real challenge, isn't it? Like, I'm not saying it's bad. It, it just means it's different. That, that how do we, like, work in Port Rush, or how do we live in Port Rush, but maybe we're living in London? Or, sorry, working in London. We're, we're, sorry, I got a text from Josh Russell. He goes, we are hitting. That's what he, he just wrote. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Um, but there's a bit of a change in how we operate within that. So people begin to ask, well, where is my community? Is my community the place that I live, or is the community the place that I work? Or, and that just brings cer certain challenges. We have to think about it. What about online church? So we've got some of you guys watching uh, online. Why don't we turn and give them a wave, everyone? Woo! Um, so we've got people watching from Australia, from New Zealand. We have um, people across the North Coast. We have them in England, Scotland, different places like that. And that's brilliant, and that's wonderful, but you can understand the challenge then. Okay, well, where is my community? Am I praying for the North Coast, even though I'm based in Australia? Or am I praying for my community? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's different. These factors have an impact on how we interact with our space and with our place and with our community. But this idea would have been alien to the people that we read about here. Uh, they would have, it was so personal to them. They, they wouldn't have understood any idea that you would have felt separate to your place. They believed that God created those places and, and those places were called to honor him. They, I mean, even heaven was talked about as a city. 
Jerusalem was, was thought of as a holy city. It was often called Zion because it was meant to represent the heavenly city on earth. So this idea of city was so connected. And again, we read it in scriptures in the Psalms. We read this as we've heard. So we've seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God, God makes her secure forever. In Hebrews, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. People were identifying, thinking about this idea of a city, of a collective sense. The city was personal to them, even at the end of Scripture. Revelation 21, the last book of the Bible, um, it talks about this all things new reality where the kingdom of God fully comes. And guess what it comes like? A city. This is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Oh, sorry, I missed the line. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Remember the word everything. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So cities were spiritual places. Cities were personal places. And that leads to a natural conclusion is that people and their cities were deeply connected. There was a connection to them. When, when in, in the understanding was not that you just inhabited or lived in a place, is that it was a part of you. Not in some kind of weird nationalism sort of stuff, but, but just that God had created that place, God had created you, and you were connected to that place to see the kingdom come. They, they prayed for the prosperity and the position of that city. They wanted those things. All things new meant all things. Everything. It wasn't just about people. It was the systems. It was the powers. It was all of the stuff that went on, the principalities, the spiritual activity on all of that stuff was a part of it. Uh, do you know, like at that time, if, if you lived in a, in a city, a town, village, hamlet, and, and if you were known as a place that uh, didn't look after widows well or orphans or the poor, uh, what you wouldn't do in that time is say, shame in the government, they need to be doing more. It would be a collective sense of what are we doing? We are part of a community and a city that allows widows to go without food. We're part of a community that's not housing orphans. We're, we're a place where the poor are getting poorer. Wow, such a shift from where we are today, right? It was a reflection on the city. It was a collective ownership. It was we're all in this together. That's what they felt. So we see it again throughout the scriptures again. A book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a guy, he was in a completely different place. He was being looked after well in the king's quarter. And the king says to him one day, Nehemiah, what's going on? You look a bit sad. And he says, well, why, why should my face not look sad? The city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. He felt it so deeply, even though he was okay. 
and he'd been gone from there for so long, he felt the pain of his city. Psalm 137, some of you of a certain generation are singing Boney M already. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered, right? So Zion and the people who were in exile, they had such pain for the place where they were supposed to be from. And they felt it. We see it again. Uh, Jesus, in, in the book of Luke, when he approaches Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known in this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Jeremiah, speaking to the Israelites in exile, says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. So he wasn't even telling them to seek the peace and prosperity of the city that they loved, but the place where they were being held against their will. He's prayed to the Lord for that place, because if it prospers, you prosper. Even Jesus, the last interaction he has with his disciples before he returns to the Father, it says this, that they came to him and they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, their understanding was a bit off at this point, but really, they weren't asking a personal thing. They were saying, is the whole country going to be redeemed? Is there going to be a restoration of this place? And Jesus answers them with city language. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And if he'd have wanted it to be a personal journey, he would have just stopped there. Holy Spirit's come. Wow, that's great. But he's like, no. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, city, in an old Judea region and Samaria, other region, and to the ends of the earth, just in case you think any place is left out. It's a city response. Whenever the kingdom comes, it's all things new. All things new. Why don't you all say all? All. all. Nothing left out. All. But we've got to be really honest and say we don't always think like that. We don't. Because about 400 years ago, a lot of um, historians would say, so about 400 years ago, there was a transition or a change that happened um, through things like the Enlightenment and uh, technological shifts. And what began to happen as a Western culture is we began to move away from any sense of spiritual stuff and began to plant our uh, lives on reason and on technology, and on things that were tangible and made sense. Things that were spiritual were treated as suspicious, and we began to think that we can work out our own answers. I think, therefore, I am. We began to work on this pursuit of happiness and knowledge and contentment, and we thought that our own brains, if we did enough hard work together, that we can make the world good again. It was like a kingdom idea without any king. And as we began to pursue that, and we are still doing that, what happened is we became more and more individualized. It became more and more about us and what we do and the wealthier areas. And bear in mind, even if we're here today and we're struggling financially, we're still one of the wealthiest parts of the world. We're still 1% of the richest people in the world. And in wealthy areas, we became even more individualized. Why? Because we didn't need community. We could sort it ourselves. If we were struggling, we have the answers. If everything became about us, everything became about what we would do. It's, uh, actually, can I say something that might feel a wee bit hard? Uh, David talked about hubs. Hubs is something we brought in to help bring connection, um, not just for people who are part of this church, but for our community. Do you know what, what lots of us said whenever hubs came? We said, I don't want to be involved in that. And we'd say, why? And said, because I don't need connection. 
And what we were saying is, I've got my world okay. I've got enough friends and I've got enough people dotted around here that I'd say, I don't need to go on a beach walk. I've got people I can go on a beach walk with. And even in that, what we were revealing in our head is that we'd misunderstood what it was about. It wasn't about whether we needed connection. It was about whether we could share our connection with people who really did need it. And what we did is we just individualized again and again and again and again. And it became, what became more important to us is our world within us rather than the world around us. And it began to reduce and to reduce and to reduce. And instead of cities being places that we felt a collective responsibility for, cities and towns and villages became the places that we would extract from. So I'm not here to give to the city. I'm here to take from the city. We would never say it like that because we're nice people. But actually, how many of us have located in areas, and I know some of us have grown up here, but located in areas because we thought, I want to locate in a place where I can give to that place. I want to go to a place that needs my connection, so I'm going to turn up there. I'm going to turn up to that place because I think I can give something there that's going to help see the kingdom of God there. Some of us might do that. I certainly haven't. Because what we do is I'm going to be there because that's got the best coffee shops. That's got the best house prices. Those are the best schools for my kids. That's the best church. That's the best. And all of that is kind of like extraction language. I was talking to, to a couple in their 20s this week, and I'm always aware when I'm talking about this that I don't want to just bring one generational view, but as I talked to them, they, they were talking about this, that, that actually they'd grow up, grown up with much more of probably of a global understanding than I did. So you hear, you know, a lot more people talking about, well, actually, we've got to care about the whole world and, and global warming and, and climate and all of that stuff. And so the, I get that there's this sense with some of us that there is a bigger world out there. But even from talking to them, that, that what they said to me is like, but actually, deep down, we're just making a whole lot of noise about it, but not taking that much risk. That actually, because this world is so interconnected and it's so big in some sense, we just feel overwhelmed and we think that we've got to be experts to solve it and we're not experts, so what's the point? And increasingly, whatever age you are, whatever our our experience was on that, we have to realize that we've become much more individualistic, that we've moved a long way away from the understanding that we read in this book when it came to the places that we are. And this has had a massive impact spiritually, right? It's not just sociologically, but actually spiritually. Those of us who follow Jesus, this has had an impact. So this collected sense that, that we would have seen in the scriptures of all things new, of God redeeming systems and principalities and kingdoms, all of those things. We, we took all of that and what we did is we made it and we turned it and we reduced it into a per- personal pursuit of can I escape hell and get into heaven? Or can I be a more spiritual person? A theologian called N.T. Wright says that we've moved from this question of how will it all end to how can I be more spiritual? Where we used to ask questions about everything changing, now it's about how can I change? Or to put it even more simply, we've gone from all things new to all things me. gone really quiet. I'm as convicted as you are. So (laughs) the logical question is, what do we do? 
and I think with the time that we've got left this morning, and we'll push into this over the next few weeks, is we've got to come back to who we were meant to be, who the church was designed to be. And um, we don't often do this um, in this church, partly because we want to always be accessible in this. But, but one of the things that we know is that this Bible, we read it in English today, those of us who English is our first language. But of course, the, the original languages that, that it was written in were not, was not English. So um, most of the Old Testament was in Hebrew. Most of the New Testament was translated into Greek. And what would happen is that um, translators who did a wonderful job, I'm so glad, they, they had to take those languages and try and instill them into some kind of English words that we understand. But when you translate languages, it isn't always just word for word. There's meanings and there's shifts and there's different things that, um, that we miss in this. And the word in the Greek that was translated into the English word church is one of the ones that we miss some of the meaning of because the, the word in the Greek is ecclesia, okay? It doesn't matter if you don't remember that. But this word ecclesia was formed by two Greek words that got pushed together, and it was ek and klesia. Ek meant out of, and klesia was a verb that was to call, okay? So to call. So when, when, when they put those two words together, what you get is ecclesia, which means the called out ones, so what's translated as church in our New Testament is actually the Greek for called out ones, right? It's the called out ones. That was, that was the word that they chose to use. So when Matthew was writing his gospel, and we read this verse that he said when Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, and I tell you that you, Peter, and on, you're now Peter, and on this rock I will build my called out ones. They could have chosen any other words, the gathering, the building, friends, family, but they chose to represent the church as called out ones, those who are called out from where they are and into something more. And the term that they used for that, this word ecclesia, this wasn't a Christian word. It wasn't something that was used within Christian circles that they adopted. Actually, this was a secular word, not that I like that term, but it was a phrase that was used. So the word ecclesia in, in Greek culture at that point was an elected civil assembly that helped to govern the city. <laughs> so when you talked about the ecclesia, people would think, oh, those are people who are elected and who bring governance to a city or a location. And so you have to ask yourself, why did the New Testament writers choose to borrow that phrase for the word church? Well, it was because their expectation was that the church would be a new assembly called by God himself to proclaim his name, to declare his kingdom come over cities and over nations. It wasn't meant to be a collection of people hiding on a Sunday morning. It was meant to be people that brought changes, that partnered with the Holy Spirit in their every day. It's a bold claim by this book. It's a bold claim. But what we're not talking about in this is the, that we've got you know, to storm the assembly, and not that anyone's there, but we've got to get in there and do, sorry, um, we do need to pray. But we, we're not saying that we've got to take it by force and establish Christian law. It's not, it's not smashing our cities and, yeah, we're going to show you who's boss. No, we've got to do it how Jesus modeled it, with a towel around his waist, washing the feet of the city, praying for them, serving our city that we are a part of. Compassion, love, 
Transformation, his kingdom come, his will be done. This can't be done in a gathering, even though this is wonderful. It can't even just be done with everyone, every day, everywhere, going around. It's got to be done with an understanding there's something more that we are a part of. There's something bigger than we do. You see, the kingdom of God coming in its fullness is not a personal pursuit where more people might just get to know Jesus. It's really good. We'd like that. I'd like more people to meet Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I would love you to know him. I think it's really important. It's an all things new, all things restored. Systems, powers, principalities, and people. So how we lead, how we work, how we shop, how we go about our everyday truly matters. Right? So when we're praying, honestly, I made a joke about our assembly, but we can sit there and we can be grumpy and make jokes about it, or we can pray for a new system and for new things to begin to come because God has the answer. We look and we say, how can these two parties work together when they all are holding on to these things? Well, God knows. We've got to pray about something more rather than just moan. Some of us in this room or watching online might be called to stand up and make a difference very personally, but we can all pray. We can all begin to set a new culture that all of us, right? Some of you in the room, you're teachers, and you don't want to hear about work because you're off. But I want you to know that when you're teaching, it's not just about those 35 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever it is where you have to hold the class's attention, or if you're a P1 teacher, five minutes to hold their attention. But actually, you are in there as a kingdom representative to begin to change the way that education works. That instead of us complaining about our education system not working the way that we would like it to, that we get to pray, that we get to partner, that we get to step in and see that a system would change, not just one kid. It's great that one kid would change. Don't lose that either. But there's something bigger. Those of you in the medical world, I know the NHS is stretched and it's struggling, but remember the NHS was actually a genius idea. And I know it's stretched and it's struggling right now, but we got to pray. So when you're there, yes, you're serving patients, and that is incredible. I don't want to lower how important that is. But remember that what if God gave you an idea that would actually transform the NHS? Farmers, it's not just about getting up at four in the morning when no one else is up and feeding your animals. That actually there's something that God is calling you to, a way of looking after his creation, a way of doing farming that's different. You know, when we begin to think about a kingdom mentality, it changes business, it changes every area that we live and we work. If we begin to seek the peace and the prosperity of the cities, towns, villages, hamlets, communities, fields that we live in, something begins to shift on a different level. I'm nearly there. My friend Pete Hughes said it like this. The Christian story is far greater than a message of escapism to another realm where God lives. Our story is of God making his home with us, healing and restoring every aspect of brokenness in this world he has given us as home. Or I would say it like this, we have a choice, those of us who are following Jesus, who are part of the church, whether it's this church or another church. We can either decide to just increase spiritual practices to to look a bit more like Jesus and become some nice people that do some public things every so often. Or we can choose to be the called out ones. The ones who say we are going to practically repair human brokenness in our cities, but also prophetically declare God's wholeness in our communities, in our everyday. 
This one is nice. This one is the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. That's where I want us to move. That's where we want to do this together in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We don't do it through this. We do it through our whole selves partnering with him in everything. Thank you for joining us for our podcast today. For more information, resources, and opportunities, you can check us out at cosmicoastvineyard.com.